Welcome to Campfire Conversations, coming to you from the shores of Lake Michigan in beautiful Arcadia, Michigan, with your host, Ryan Tonetti, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church here in Arcadia, Michigan, and co-host, Chit May, executive director of Camp Arcadia. We get together to have the kind of conversations you have around the campfire with friends. It is so easy in our busy lives to forget what really matters, the campfire. The campfire is a place where we make space to talk about things that count and to remember that we've been made for more. So grab a seat and join us around the campfire. Hey there, it's Ryan Tonetti, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church here in lovely Arcadia, Michigan. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Chip May, executive director of the one and only Camp Arcadia. Hey, Chip. Hey, Ryan. And we have with us also a guest special special guest host, uh, Caleb Keith, director of podcast at fifteen seventeen. How's it going, Caleb? I'm great. Thank you for having me on uh, two weeks in a row. Yeah, I'm glad to have you around the <laughs> around the campfire. We don't know yet if it's going to be two weeks in a row, but we'll just uh, <laughs> we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. And our even specialer guest is the uh, scholar in residence with fifteen seventeen in residence in Texas, Chad Bird. Hey, Chad. Hey, good to be here. Welcome back. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of intimidating having like such esteemed podcasters. Here. I know we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> I feel like we're like weekend podcasters, and you guys are like doing the real. How old's the show? Deal. How old's the show? Four years. Four yeah. years. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty old for a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna rename it as Twenty Five Minutes in the Campfire. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna call it. It's very painful. <laughs> in the campfire. Yep. Yes, at a burning sensation. <laughs> This proper, yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah, it's been four years, but I mean, we uh, it has been. Um, someone's asking how much time do you spend preparing mm. for this, one? yes, and uh, hours as much as you yeah. would expect. A lot of prayer and contemplation. I listen to your lectures all week, so I feel like that's a lot of preparation. That is, that a lot is. Of preparation. Thank, thank you, yeah, thank yeah. you. That's hours. That's ours. Can't that's say ours. the same for uh, old Ryan. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting in the time. It's all prayer while he's in the lectures. I'm yes, just, uh, yes. Praying. Uh, but um, yeah, so uh, Chad, your topic this week is is um, limping with God, it's sort of Jacob in the Bible. And um, one of the things, I mean, like when I think of Jacob, like he, he, there's so many stories about him. Like, and that's something that that you says like that we know more about him than basically any other Old Testament. Person and it does. We have the whole life from from a womb to hmm. him him dying. It's just fascinating. But um, uh, what um, is there a particular aspect of his life that first was really interesting to you? I love where he gets like punched in the groin by the by the, by the <laughs> angel. Is that why you're always doing that? Well, I, I, yeah, it just seems seems like this is like seems the, a very angelic thing to do. This is like a wrestling match with God, and, and he gets and, he, and it's a, and that's kind of a bush league move, honestly. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, I feel like you, you should just have a better move, like a suplex or something like that. Hurt donut. Exactly. Yeah. Off the turnbuckle with the elbow, but no, it's just a you know a groin tap there. And it's, yeah. you know, he's, he's out. God doesn't fight fair. Yeah, he does not play by the rules. <laughs> yeah, of course that that episode uh, certainly is fascinating to me and to a lot of other people. But one of the reasons that I wanted to write about Jacob is because, well, first of all, like you pointed out, we know a lot about him, and he's he's just a he's a fascinating character. I. I I find Isaac, his father, kind of boring, to be honest. Hmm. There's just not, maybe it's because we don't know very much about him. But aside from what almost happened to him, right. you know, almost getting sacrificed, which is kind of a pretty big deal. <laughs> and besides that, and that was really part of Abraham's story. 
There's just not a lot about Isaac. He, of course, okay, he lied about his wife being his sister at one point. Well, evidently that ran in the family. <laughs> yeah, that has a big so, a lot. I, yeah, I mean, that is a lot. We've all been there. <laughs> but uh, you get to Jacob, and man, what a what a fascinating guy. I mean, you love him, you hate him, you're 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 drawn in by his story, and he's just got so many different facets to his character. And he, I think, he does undergo changes as he gets older. And you get to his, really, when he's really old, when he's talking to Pharaoh, and he basically just has this uh, line like, I've just been beat up my entire life. I've had a rough life. Well, he, he has. And a lot of that was due to Jacob. I mean, he created a lot of the roughness in his own life because he created scenarios where he, he suffered. But anyway, all of that together drew me in because I was like, man, you see so much of your own life reflected in Jacob. At least I do. And I think a lot of people do. The, the egotism that's part of him, the, the selfish ambition, the, uh, the, the problems he has with his family. I mean, all the problems that we have with our four wives. I mean, I mean <laughs> that, that Jacob had with his, excuse me, with his four wives. He was even uh, asking for it. Right? <laughs> yeah, four yeah. Four wives, two sisters. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> kind, of said, he kind of said that one At least three sisters, actually, right? Yeah. yeah. He's, a lot, lot, of, lot of family problems. Yeah. So all of those kind of pulled me Mary's into the story. So, yeah. Yeah, married in the family. It worked for Ryan, but not for the rest of us. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that uh, that that made me want to write write about him and uh, just kind of reflect about how much of our life we see in him, and and of course the the main part of that is how much we see God's actions in our life, just like they were in Jacob's life. Now, I was one of the things that you said that just blew my mind was that when he is stealing the birthright from his brother Esau uh, through his mother's uh, help, there he was seventy years old. <laughs> yeah, he's in his seventies. Now crazy? he lives to be like he's like hundred and forty or yeah, he's almost hundred and fifty years old. Yeah, so he's mid midlife, but still, <laughs> I pictured him like you know maybe nineteen, maybe mm-hmm. twenty, you know, yeah. just trying to make his way in the world. Right. This is a midlife crisis here. It is, yeah. He's dressed up like a hairy man instead of birthright. <laughs> yeah, I like to compare him to a guy in his 40s. He's going through midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what was wrong with, I mean, Esau is so loved by his father, but he's, you know, also 70. What took his dad 70 years to even give Esau the birthright? Yeah, I, I think what was happening, that chapter starts out with, so it talks about Isaac, he's, he's, he's old, okay, he's going to live another 20 plus years, but he is getting older, he's blind, I suspect he, he's just, he's at that point in life where he's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to next week, yeah. <laughs> one of those, one of those days, one of those months, and so he's like, well, I, before something happens to me, I want to make sure and give my, my favorite son, Esau, the mm-hmm. blessing, because after all, I mean, I do like his venison. That that is the reason if anyone ever knows wants to know why Isaac preferred Esau. Yeah. Was he yeah. He was a foodie. <laughs> right. a, a dietary reason to choose. Yes. So but like so this the, this like blessing thing, this is a is this equivalent to like your will? You know, it, mm-hmm. but like so it wasn't uh like I was always confused, like, did he have like he is the firstborn. Doesn't he get like two thirds of that of everything as the firstborn? Isn't that like the law? Or this mm-hmm. this whole giving, this ceremonial thing, seems to be very transactional. Like it's a real thing. It's not like yeah. he wasn't just he wasn't just endorsing something that already had, had was already on law. Like if this didn't happen, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Like explain that. I don't. Quite yeah, know. I mean, as is pretty widely known, firstborn son gets twice what the everybody gets, and he right. ends up basically being the head of the family. Right. 
so uh, through the early interaction interaction of Jacob and Esau, you know, Jacob had acquired the birthright from Esau for the bowl of, of soup. But he still needed the paternal blessing. And so that's why he just dresses up as Esau to get that. But this this verbalizing of a blessing or verbalizing what the dad wants to happen in regard to his son seems to be something that's carried forward because you have Jacob then repeating the same thing in Genesis 49 to each of his mm. each of his sons. He, mm-hmm. he pronounces, we call it the blessing upon the sons. You read some of those and it's like, oh, it doesn't sound very much <laughs> yeah. like a blessing to me. <laughs> it's, it's more like a, a prophecy, if you will. Yeah. But with some of them, it's an actual benediction. It's a blessing. So Jacob did that for his sons. And, of course, then Isaac does that, thinking it's Esau, but instead it's actually Jacob, who's smelling like his brother, feeling like his brother, uh, but just can't sound like his brother. He can't imitate the voice of Esau. And there also seems to be, like, the the promise to Abraham of being the father of many nations, then, is passed down to the sons in the blessing. Mm -hmm. Is that the the implication as well, is that the Abrahamic blessing and promise is part of this. Yeah, so Abraham receives the promise from God in Genesis 12, and then he passes that on to Isaac. And, you know, I mean, he had more than one son. He didn't just have Isaac, he also had Ishmael. Mm. Um, but it's going to be to Isaac that that blessing is passed, and then Isaac passes it on to Jacob, and then Jacob to Judah, and mm. so on and so forth. So did, 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 did Isaac know about Jacob stealing the birthright from his brother? Ah, that's a good question. In fact, did... Uh, did Isaac even know that God had told Rebekah that the older shall serve the younger? Mm. It's one of those curious questions we're really not given the answer to. I mean, so Rebekah knows this when she's pregnant with the, the boys, and she doesn't even know there's twins. She just knows she's having some weird pains, and she inquires of God. God tells her, you've got twins, and here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a switch. Older shall serve the younger. So did she pass that on to her husband? And he just basically ignored it because Esau was his favorite. And then also, when Jacob took the birthright from Esau, did Esau tell his dad? Did Jacob tell his dad? It's one of those unanswerable questions because we just, we just don't know. You know was, he, was Isaac basically going to say, you know what? I don't care what Jacob did. Esau's my firstborn. Yeah. Esau's my favorite. I'm going to give the blessing to him no matter, no matter what. So that's, that's where you see where God is kind of behind all of these very selfish human actions to make sure that history actually goes the direction that he that he wants it to go. So there's so many great characters in the Bible and in the Old Testament, and yet so much um, ink is spilled on Jacob and uh, on this guy. What is it, do you think, about his story in particular that the scriptures devote so much attention to him in a way that is um, not quite unique among biblical characters, but mm-hmm. it's, he's certainly up toward the top. Yeah, I think a couple of different things. Number one, of course, later in his life, Jacob's given an additional name. He's really not changed to Israel, the name is not, because he's called Jacob after that. Mm. But he's given an additional name. And, of course, therefore, he becomes not only Israel the person, mm. Israel the patriarch, but Israel the one who embodies the whole nation that's going to come from him. So for that reason, the Old Testament is fascinated by Jacob, mm-hmm. by Israel, because he is the patriarch of the people of God. And then also because his life gets them down into Egypt where you have the biggest Old Testament story told. You have the Exodus. Mm -hmm. So Joseph first gets down there, and then Joseph is able to use his power and position to kind of prepare the way for getting his whole family down there. So Jacob Jacob is a man of exiles. So he's born in the Promised Land, but then he's exiled to Haran, comes back after 20 years. 
and then he's there for a while. Then he gets exiled once more to, to Egypt. Hmm. So he's kind of an international figure too. Hmm. He's going all these different directions. He goes to where Abraham came from. He goes down to to Egypt, and there he there he dies. And the the stage is set therefore by Jacob's life for that biggest redemptive act in the Old hmm. Testament the Exodus. And so for all those reasons, you get 25 chapters basically devoted to Jacob's hmm. life. Half of Genesis is in one way or another devoted to Jacob's life. Hmm. But he's like not a good person. <laughs> no, I mean, he's, he, he's like, really not. It's hard to find a redeeming character. I mean, he deceives his brother uh-huh. who I identify with. Man, when I'm hungry, I'm hungry. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I don't have a birthright to give, but I mean, I am the firstborn of my of my twin brother, mm-hmm. and I was given the the family name, which is kind of weird, you know, like mm-hmm. you're twins. And mm-hmm. but uh, but anyways, it's it, but like, wow, why does God use so screwed up people? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to find anyone in the Bible that really stands up to, to any real character test. <laughs> yeah. right? I yeah. mean, yeah. Abraham, not good. Moses, mm-hmm. murderer. Yeah. I mean, it's just like. What, why choose? If, like, if you are writing a book to convince people of the goodness and the mercy of God, you would choose better people. Yes, you would. You, you know, would. and then we would all be, then we would all try to be like these these three folks, right? Mm-hmm. And then we would all get better, and we would need God. Which which I think is one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much because you, yeah, you look. Long and hard for these great moral examples, these stellar examples of, you know, piety and virtue. And, yeah, there's a few that stick out as really good people. You know, but most of them are, well, they're like all of us. You know? And the prophets are like, as someone said, an HR nightmare. <laughs> I mean, they're half naked. They're screaming at people. <laughs> right. Even their own family can't stand them. Like, yeah, yeah, I'd you like to have Jonah as your pastor. <laughs> I don't really want to be here today. But I guess i got to preach to you people. <laughs> even, even the righteous kings of Israel are usually like, well, they only committed like two heinous sins. Not, <laughs> yes. not like, you know, 200. So that's, yeah, David, the man after God's own heart. Yeah, he also, you know, made sure his best friend got murdered and right. <laughs> took his wife. Oof. Yeah, things are... Things are not good with kings and prophets. And, uh, like they all the will patriarchs. be canceled today, quickly. Without, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but the great message here is that, and that maybe this is one of the reasons, I think it is one of the reasons that God used people like that, because that demonstrates that these people were not chosen because of their moral pedigree. Mm-hmm. They were chosen because of God's grace. Mm-hmm. That that is the impetus behind his actions in their life. Not because they earned it. They didn't do anything to earn it. I mean, that's Paul's point when he talks about Jacob and Esau, right? While they're in the womb, before they've done anything good or bad, uh, God said, Jacob I love, Esau mm-hmm. hated. So the, 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 the driving force is always divine mercy behind God's choice and his using of these people. And what great news for us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's not up to... God doesn't look around and say, man, that ship, he is a great guy. I'm going to choose him. Uh, or he doesn't look at, at me and say, Chad is so terrible that I'm going to choose him just to show what a good God I am. Hmm. So how good or how bad we are is outside the equation. It all is in the heart of God that drives him to do what he yeah. does. It's not, it doesn't depend on him who wills or runs, but on God who has mercy. Yeah. Uh, that should be in the Bible. It should be yeah. in, a, in a section talking about Jake when he saw. Um, so uh, you've done a really good job um, with with this and in the past when we've talked with you in terms of showing us how to do a 
kind of a, a Christological, to use a fancy term, a Christological reading of the Old Testament, which is to say... Like crystals? Um, yeah, exactly. Gosh, and, and numerology and all that kind of stuff. Um, to read the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. And mm-hmm. so what are some um, stories uh, within the overall um, a narrative of Jacob mm-hmm. that really point forward to Jesus or where you can especially have that kind of Christological reading of his story? Yeah, two in particular. There's three, but I'll focus on two. Uh, one is early in his life when he's going into exile. So he's deceived his father and his brother and he's leaving. And along the way, he has that vision of the, the stairway mm. with angels ascending and descending. And as I pointed out a couple of days ago when we were talking about this at camp, the, uh, the typical translation is the Lord stood above it, that is above the ladder. Mm. But the Hebrew can be translated beside him just mm. as accurately, which is the way I prefer to go with this. So mm. the Lord is standing there and he's speaking to him. And he's just filling him with words of promise and hope and, and love and saying, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to bless you, so on and so forth. Well, that, that appearance of God is in conformity with so many other appearances of God in the Old Testament where God is visibly manifesting himself. You can actually see him. He's speaking to his people. And those are, when you view all the various ways that those happen, they're in conformity with who the Word of God is, who the Son of God is. This is, this is the Son of God manifesting himself and speaking here to, to this person. That's the one I'd point to. And then you can, well, I mean, before I move on, take that. Mm-hmm. Go to John 1. Mm-hmm. In John chapter 1, when Jesus has the dialogue with Nathaniel, mm-hmm. and Nathaniel is surprised because Jesus knows he was under the fig tree. And Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the Texas translation of that, <laughs> that verse. Uh, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus, in that way, is connecting who he is with that stairway. Mm. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. He's the bridge between God and man because he combines him Mm -hmm. in his own person. So that's one. Then go to probably the most well-known story about Jacob, and that's when he wrestles with, well, it's called different things in Hebrew. He's called the Ish, which is man. Mm -hmm. And then when Hosea recounts the story, he's called uh, a Malach, which is a messenger. And then also in Hosea, he's called God. So he's the, the man, messenger, God, all in one. And that is exactly who the Son of God is. So picture this. This is the only time this occurs in the whole Bible. There's Jacob and there's Jesus wrestling in the mud at the, on the banks of the Javik River, which is just an image I love of Jesus because it's not one that we usually associate right. with him, right? Yeah. You can, I mean, you can get a picture of Jesus. He's growing up. He's wrestling with his friends. I mean, we all do that as, as guys. But here's Jesus temporarily assuming human form in the Old Testament mm. to get down in the mud and wrestle uh, with, with Jacob. And then to, you know, to not fight by the rules. You know, <laughs> he, he plays by his own rules. And in the end, the greatest part of this, greatest part of this is that Jesus loses hmm. on purpose so that Jacob can win. Hmm. And what I see in that episode is, uh, is a keyhole into the room of the crucifixion. Hmm. So you look through what's happening here, mm-hmm. and you see ultimately that Jesus comes down, he assumes our humanity, and his, his ministry is basically this long wrestling match hmm. with his own people until finally he loses willingly mm-hmm. on the cross, loses his own life precisely in order that they might win, hmm. receive a blessing as a result of that. So I see the the wrestling with Jesus by Jacob as a as a preview of the of the the incarnation of the crucifixion. Wow, 
I, I'm thinking of uh, this past Sunday as we're recording this, the gospel reading was the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. Yeah. And in some ways, that almost feels like a similar story where mm -hmm. there's yeah. this kind of wrestling, this give and take. This is the woman who came with the, the demon-possessed daughter, and, you know, she's asking Jesus to heal. And, and at first, he's just silent, and he's like, mm -hmm. you know, you know, throws her off. I'm just here for the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and finally calls her a dog. Mm -hmm. But then ultimately, um, you know, she, she says, yeah, okay, yep, so I'm a dog. Then I, even dogs get the crumbs. Yeah. And it's like... Jesus loses the wrestling match, as it were, mm -hmm. at that point. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Um, but you get the impression that, uh, yeah, he wanted to lose all yes. along. Yeah. Martin Luther has a great commentary on that, uh, he, a great line on that. He says, uh, she catches Christ in his own words, and he's glad to be caught. Exactly. Yeah, or he, she, he, she wins, he loses, and he's glad to lose. Yes. Yeah, because that's precisely what he wants to do. That's how she he hung on. Yeah. Yeah. So your book is called Limping with God, referring to uh, Jesus, the angel who 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 uh, who uh, causes a limp mm -hmm. in you. First, just recount that part of the of the uh, of the narrative, and then if you could talk a little bit how that's been portrayed throughout uh, biblical history, like like what do people think that that that, that was, mm -hmm. and then what's your sort of take on it based on that. Yeah, so that's at the very end of the wrestling match we've been talking right. about. And in the, in the middle of this wrestling match, there's a dislocation of his hip or whatever mm -hmm. whatever Jesus does to Jacob that uh, messes his body up. <laughs> and it, then Jacob still wins, all right? So dawn is breaking. You have this exchange between them about names, and Jacob is given the name Yisrael, which means a godfighter, which, by the way, is the coolest name ever. Right. So Israel, godfighter. And then... Uh, the messenger disappears, and we're told that Jacob limped away from there. So, thus, he, he, he limps because of this encounter with God. So, limping with God. And then we're, we have this strange verse at the very end of that chapter that says, Therefore, to this day, the Israelites did not eat the sinew on the hip where God touched Jacob. And I think, okay, well, that's a weird kind of etiology of this later, you know, culinary habit of not, <laughs> not eating this part of the animal. I think what was going on there is that the Israelites kept alive that memory of that, that painful divine touch and the limp that resulted from it, which as far as we know continued in Jacob's life. We don't, we're never told that he really recovered from that. That the Israelites kept that memory alive because they wanted to remember when God wounded their patriarch as a result of this, and therefore he limped afterward. Now what I like to do with that is that I'll, I'll, I'll take that and I'll apply that to our own lives and talk about our scars, talk about our wounds, talk about our limps, that we have as a result of whatever we went through in this wrestling match with God in our own lives. And that when we limp away from those encounters, that limp is, that limp is actually a blessing because it reminds us of what God was doing in our lives. Painful though it was, uh, God was active in that situation in order to make less of us, to give us more of himself. Mm. And so in that way, we limp away. We remember that divine encounter, but we also then as I like to put it, are called to be stewards of our scars. We could also say stewards of our limps mm. because we then are used by God to speak to others who have been in similar situations so that, as Paul says, the, the, the grace that we receive, the mercy that we receive, the compassion that we receive, then we translate that into mercy, love, compassion for other people mm. so that when they're limping, when they're wounded, and when they're scarred, we can come alongside them and say, I've actually been there. Mm. Let's talk. Let me love you. Let me help you through this and be a good steward of what's happened to me. Mm -hmm.
yeah, the famous phrase from Henry Nowen, right? Of to be wounded healers. Mm-hmm. Yes. That share those scars. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've talked about um, Jacob and the ways that um, God worked in him um, because of and in spite of, of his wounds. And um, you've been so uh, wonderful throughout your ministry and writing ministry to share how God has has limped with you. And um, as we kind of wrap up our conversation, we always point to different resources, ask our, our guests. Could you share, um, I'm going to ask you to just first, uh, not brag on yourself, but share, share some of, of your books and um, ways that you've shared that um, story and that working of God through your own life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my first book was called Not Driving, mm-hmm. uh, which is subtitles Notes from a Prodigal Soul. So in that book I told a story from, Oh my goodness! I guess almost twenty years ago now, mm-hmm. where I blew up my life and uh, went from being a professor of Hebrew and Old Testament in uh, in the classroom to being a truck driver. So I traded my clerical collar for steel toe boots and a hard hat, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the beginning of uh, my exile, beginning of uh, of woundedness and over a long process, long period of time, long process, uh, God bringing healing to me, but. The slimp remains, the, the scars remain, mm. uh, and uh, thankfully God has been able to use that, my story of his work in my life, to be uh, a, a place of hope and encouragement for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what surprised me most about not driving is how many people in prison have read that book. Huh. One of the audiences I never had in mind when I wrote it actually has been an audience that have benefited greatly from it, mm-hmm. which wow. makes sense because when you're in prison, of course, most of the time you've, you've lost everything, right? You've, you've messed up your life in a major way, and now you're wondering, is there hope? Right. You know, I'm in, I'm in a midnight situation. Is there dawn? And that's really the purpose of not driving is to say, yes, there is. Mm-hmm. After the darkness comes the, the light. After, after this period of woundedness, there is healing that follows that. Mm-hmm. And you made the point that you feel God during these moments of exile uh, he's doing something with this, like he's mm. he's cultivating fruit in your life that he couldn't do when you're safe and secure. Yeah. But in his exile, when you're confused and everything, that's when God is doing something in your life, and mm-hmm. uh, that was for me oddly comforting because when you're in exile, you can't see the way out, and mm-hmm. and you and you can lose hope, you yeah. know, yeah. and you, God can seem either vindictive or distant or cruel. You know, mm-hmm. and so to think that that you know what is, what is God trying to do in my life? What is now? He's you know, of course, it's is God causing the exile? Is is lots of questions in there, and there mm-hmm. aren't clear answers. I don't think necessarily that says we don't really know, mm-hmm. but God can do good out of that. And you also made the point of like, well, don't go looking for exile. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna come. Mm-hmm. Moments of, of of insecurity of that are going to come. Yeah. Right. But, yeah, I think the whole point of exile is that. Uh, the less there is of us, the more God has to work with, mm. basically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when we're, when everything's going great in my life, there's more of me, you know, and that becomes an impediment. Yeah. <laughs> God has to, like, reduce me down to nothing so that he can actually work with it because we all know that God's favorite, active, favorite material to work with is nothing. Mm-hmm. That's how I made the world. Mm-hmm. And so he continues to be that way. And I'm riffing here on, this is not original me, Martin Luther says in his commentary on the Magnificat mm-hmm. that God reduces us down to lowness, to nothingness, to humility, because that's the material he likes to work with. Mm-hmm. When there's a lot of me in me, well, then there's not much room for God. So he has to kind of unplug the, the, the bottom of my soul mm-hmm. and let me drain out so he can fill me with, a, with himself. And that happens in exile. And it's not fun. 
That's why you should never choose exile. Uh, just know that God will take you there when the time is, is right, and he will be there with you in that period of darkness and will be at work in your life, even if it feels like he's not. Chad, thank you for being a, an instrument of grace and for um, continually proclaiming that good news of God's light in the darkness. And thanks for joining us around the campfire. Yeah, you bet. Glad to be here. Thanks, Chad. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Campfire Conversations. Make sure to subscribe to hear future episodes. Visit camp-arcadia.com for more information or find us on Facebook. We'll see you back at the campfire.